Hello, I'm Blair Lemke. Welcome to Let God Speak. Suffering is a present reality in our world today, experienced by everyone. But how are we to make sense of suffering when it occurs to us or those close to us? Are we being punished by a stern, judgmental God? Or are we being attacked by the devil? Or is there another explanation of suffering, not just random circumstances? Open your Bibles and join us now as we discuss this important topic. On our panel today, we have Gail Fong and Abel Iorgulescu. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Blair. As always, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word today. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, we continue our study series today looking at the theme of suffering. And a particular focus that we're going to look at today is where suffering comes from, and how we can see God's hand in suffering that we face. And so I'd like to start by drawing our attention to a passage of Scripture. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. God's Word says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Hmm. Uh, A very interesting passage to kick our study off this morning. Gail, I'd like to ask you, this text speaks of a fiery trial. What is a fiery trial? Well, the term comes from the Greek word pyrosis and means an intent, the intense burning by which metals are refined. Metals are refined in special containers where they're heated to extremely high temperatures, and these containers are called crucibles. And um, it's one thing to have problems in life, because we all have problems, but it's another thing to have problems so severe that you actually feel like you're right inside the cru- a crucible. So... Fiery trials, therefore, are the severest of trials. And what Peter is saying here in verse 12, he's saying, don't be surprised if you find yourself being put into the crucible of suffering. Mm. Mm. Interesting that it, it's interesting that it does say that not to be surprised because, you know, there would be one sense in which we could think, well, a Christian, maybe we shouldn't face trials in suffering. It should be a better, happier life. So, um, Abel, I'd like to ask you, uh, why should we not be surprised when fiery trials come in our lives? You know, Blair, uh, I really appreciate the fact that the Bible and the way, you know, God inspired this book is, is very honest with humanity. It tells us we are living in a sin-cursed world. Therefore, we will experience suffering, pain. And we've got an enemy, an arch enemy, that his, his main purpose for existence is to harm us, to destroy us, and to affect our faith in God. And the Bible is clear from Genesis to Revelation that this world will deteriorate both physically and morally. In a, in a physical way, in Isaiah chapter 51 verse 6, we are told the earth shall wax old like a garment. And we know that this world is not getting any better Mm. in in a a physical aspect. Now, morally speaking, in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, we are told the heart is deceitful above all things. 
desperately wicked. Now, when you put all of these elements together, it really creates the environment in which you and I and the rest of our viewers are placed in. And of course, suffering is part of life. Mm. Yeah, it's quite um, an interesting description of the world. You know, this this battle scene Mm. between God and Satan and uh, and some of the outflow of that being suffering that we see in the world around us. Uh, I'd like to ask you, Gail, even though this is a reality that suffering is in the world, how can we best prepare, prepare ourselves for suffering uh, when it does come to us? The best way for us to prepare ourselves is to understand the big picture mm. and that we are actually caught up in a great controversy between Christ and Satan. And this is a very real battle. This is a very real war, although it's, it's an unseen war to us with our naked eye, but we actually can see the results of it all around us. And the best way for us to go forward here is to make sure that we have that daily connection with God through our personal prayer, through reading God's word, through claiming his promises and place ourselves daily in the center of God's will. And as we do that and we trusting the Lord, then whatever happens, God is in control. During these times, though, when we are placed in crucibles, we need God-fearing friends and family um, who will wisely and compassionately and biblically console us and, and comfort us in our sufferings. And then we also can reach out to others when we see that they are suffering and that we can support one another in these times. And and doing this actually draws us closer to Jesus. We have a, we have, it strengthens our relationship with Jesus. And just like to share a verse in First Peter chapter five, here verse six and seven, reading, uh, Peter writes, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Mm. That certainly is a helpful way to prepare for trials and sufferings when we come to them in our lives. I want to draw our attention back to verse 13 here. Uh, It says, God's word says, rejoice to the extent that you can partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Uh, What does Peter mean for us to rejoice as we participate in suffering? How can someone rejoice uh, when they're having a negative experience like this, Abel? Yeah, you see, Blair, um, as I was reflecting on this verse and, and the idea of rejoicing in suffering, I thought, you know, there are a few, I mean, there are a number of Bible verses that are difficult to understand. And I think one of, one of them is this one. And, and any person looking at this verse, like, how can I rejoice in pain and mm. suffering? And what Peter is doing here is building up an argument when he says rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. He gives us a reason and says, first of all, look at Christ. Mm. He was, you know, the holy one on earth, the most righteous one, and yet he was persecuted. He was afflicted. He was marginalized. You know, he was hunted and eventually, you know, killed on a cross. And he says, look at Christ, the, the holy one. It doesn't mean that God abandoned him. It doesn't mean that, that God turned his back on him. And it says sufferings, it doesn't mean that you know, God is forsaking you. It says look at Christ, first of all. And secondly, he, he portrays the good news that when Christ comes in his glory, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. It says, in other words, you are experiencing pain here. 
But keep in mind, Christ has also experienced the same and rejoice because he partake in that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, we are told this, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. In other words, if all these terrible things happen to Christ, they will also happen to us, his servants. But Peter doesn't want us to dwell so much on the, on the suffering, but says, keep in mind the goal that when Christ returns, you will share with him in his glory and joy. Wow. Wow. What a, what a, a gift to partake in those mm-hmm. sufferings then, uh, if they can be a small part of Christ's journey. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised when suffering does come upon us. Uh, I want to turn our attention now to the sources of these fiery trials. And I'd like to read First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. God's word says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, mm-hmm. walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, you know, there have been some that may claim that the devil is just a metaphor or an illustration. Uh, Gail, is the devil real or is this just a metaphor for evil here? It's interesting. There are Christians that believe the devil is not a real person. Mm-hmm. And uh, they believe that the devil is a mythical representation of the principle of evil. Um, And according to this text, though, that you've read, the devil is real. And to Jesus, for Jesus, Satan was a real being whom he met when he was in the wilderness, when he was tempted and uh, spoke with him. And also he spoke to his disciples about the devil. He said he saw him fall like lightning from heaven. So to Jesus, the devil was not a symbol of some inner dark aspects of his mind, but he was a literal uh, being. And in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, in verse 12, Paul writes here, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So Paul saw Christians engaged in a real battle, in a real fight. And this war wages in the spiritual realm of evil in in, heaven, uh, in the heavenly realm, I should say. Mm. But we get caught up in this spiritual battle because he's, the devil is after our mind and our allegiance. Mm. It, it's interesting to me that the devil here is described as a roaring lion. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Abel, why the choice of a roaring lion uh, as opposed to any other animal that could have been chosen to represent the devil here? Look, at Blair, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is this. You know, when you think of lion... Uh, you think of lion as being the king of the beasts and he's always on the hunt and he attacks those that are weak, that are old or young, vulnerable. He's always, you know, looking for, for a prey. And the language that he says, you know, be sober, be vigilant. In other words, be aware that you are under constant attack. Mm. You know, Satan is not like a, an, a, a, an animal that doesn't kill like a rabbit, sloth. you know, a sloth yeah, <laughs> that takes its time. You know, so I never thought of sloth, but it, it, it's a good one. Right. But right. He's on a, a, a line. He's strong. He's powerful. He's on the hunt. However, he gives the accounts to be sober, be vigilant. In other words, it's not impossible, but you need to, to be on your guard. Now, the other reason, uh, and I just want to, you know, sort of park this, this thought with you, Blair, and those that are listening is when Peter was writing this letter to the church, there was something real real happening for them. And they were brought into those arenas for entertainment purposes where lions and wild beasts were released 
upon Christians and they had to run for their lives. So I, I, I tried to imagine a first century Christian reading about Satan being like a roaring lion. Yes. For them, it was a very vivid image. It was a life and death uh, situation. Absolutely. And it says, look, you may not be in that arena. That's what Peter is addressing. You may not be in that arena, but even though you are in freedom, you've got a, a roaring lion, you've got Satan chasing you. Well, that really makes it a very real battle, doesn't mm. it? it? It puts that image in the mind that this isn't just some do 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 do, you know, ethereal thing, but it's it's a real battle that's being fought by that's Christians. Right. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to just draw attention again to the first few words of that text. It says, be sober, be vigilant. Uh, Gail, what does it mean to be sober and to be vigilant in this context here in this text? Well, it's interesting. The New Living Translation puts it this way, which perhaps is, uh, it just says, stay alert, Mm -hmm. Um, watch out for your great enemy. So the text is saying that the devil is truly our adversary. He is our enemy and his passion is to take us out of the kingdom of God. Uh, So Satan claims to be the prince of this world and he's exerting his influence on every part of our lives uh, through television, through radio, through all forms of media, through what we put in our bodies, etc. And so uh, Satan making sure that temptations just abound everywhere. It's just you, you just cannot avoid. But so Christians, we must stay alert and be strictly disciplined to avoid Satan's satanic influences. Mm. And Paul writes this way in Philippians chapter four and verse eight. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Mm. Mm. So, of course, in this process, we come into temptations and we're confronted with the tests of the devil. Uh, Abel, what, what should our approach be when, when temptations come upon us in this battle? So, Blair, if, if we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, uh, so in verse 8, we read about, you know, the devil being a lion, roaring and seeking. But in verse 9, Peter gives us the key how to, to address this battle. And it says, first of all, resist him. How? How to resist him? Steadfast in the faith. Now, we know that faith is a key element throughout the Bible. It's not our strength. It's not our ability. It's not what we have, but in whom we put our trust mm. in. And that is through Christ we can do all things. And when I read, you know, resist him, you know, probably your mind goes straight to James chapter 4, verse 7, where, you know, again, James gives us the counsel, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, you, you think, I mean, there are many illustrations in the Bible, but one comes to mind is the one of Joseph, you know, in, in the book of Genesis, when he was tempted, he resisted the temptation and he turned away. He actually, literally, he, he ran away, literally. And I think we need to take certain steps to run away from the things that Satan brings our way. Amen. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And uh, reading on from that text that you just highlighted for us in verse 10, it says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. Gail, what hope does this give us as Christians who face trials? Well, 
all of us will suffer suffer at some point in our lives. But I think this verse is giving us comfort that through our suffering that God, he will be our sure foundation. He is our solid rock. It says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And as we cling to Jesus, as we make him our foundation, we will, he will give us the strength to cope in times of adversity as well in everyday life. But he will perfect us as well, um, meaning he will equip us to endure faithfully and what, to whatever Satan throws at us, because we never know what's going to come our way. But if we cling to God during our suffering, we, our faith in God and our trust in our relationship with God will strengthen and deepen. And as um, uh, Pastor Abel pre- um, shared that verse before, just in Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what Paul wrote, and he wrote that from prison mm. as well. Wow. So the, the devil is clearly a source of suffering in our lives and a source of trials. Um, another source of fiery trials is, of course, our own sins, willfully breaking God's law. Uh, and I want to ask you, Abel, how does sin result in suffering as another form of fiery trials? You, you see, that's, that's quite an interesting question, Blair. Um, usually when we think of sin, we know the outcome is ultimately death. You know, Romans chapter 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. But then praise God for the bath, you know, but the gift of God is eternal life. You know, so the wage of sin is death. But even when we come to that end point, death, there are certain consequences that we reap as a result of our actions. For example, if I may read from uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, and it says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. In other words, there will be consequences to our actions right now in the present. Uh, because sometimes we need to, to learn the hard way and God allows for those consequences to take place. And I'll, I'll, I'll share with you a bit more. But look at in verse 8. For he who sows uh, to his flesh will also of the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. In other words, there are certain paths. If we choose this path, there'll be consequences. Like when you think of the story of David in, in the Old Testament and, and Bathsheba, he, he, you know, he had a desire, a sinful desire. He went through, he followed through that desire. He committed adultery. Now there are certain uh, consequences uh, out of that. First of all, he experienced guilt and shame. He lost his moral ability to govern Israel. Um, unfortunately, the child that was born out of that relationship passed away. So there were certain consequences, terrible ones. And we can see the pain that King David experienced uh, as he sincerely repented in Psalm 51. So unfortunately, yeah, there are things that we bring upon ourselves because of the choices we make right now in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it's very clear. There's very real consequences to sin in our lives, and this is, can be a source of trials. Uh, Gail, what about physical results of sin and suffering in our lives? Yes, God has health laws as well as the moral law. And so today people are coming down with all types of lifestyle diseases and they may ask God to remove the the suffering of the disease from them. But um, these because they have abused these laws, such as overeating, um, overworking, uh, not not 
or, or probably not exercising enough mm. or just just different forms of abuse that one places in their body. And thus, if God were to answer that prayer, then and you continue in that lifestyle, well, you will go back to being sick again. So we're to do our part and our part is to follow the counsel that God gives us in his word so that God can actually fulfill his promises when it comes to the way we live our lives through lifestyle. And God gave a beautiful promise to the children of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt. And we can claim this promise today in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26, it says, and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. It's a powerful verse. Wow, that is. And um, yeah, I think we can see very clearly some of these consequences uh, of of distance from God, not following his laws and how that impacts our lives. Um, I'd like to move on to another source of fiery trials now. uh, And I'd like to read Jeremiah chapter nine, verse seven. God's word says, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and try them. For how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Interesting text here. And Abel, I want to ask you, what is God doing here in this text? Blair, when I read this verse, it looks like God is the one that places us in the crucibles, you know, that Gail mentioned to us at the beginning. You know, he's he's the one intentionally putting us there. And I think it's really important to understand the context in which Jeremiah writes this message. If um, if if our viewers take the time to look through Jeremiah chapter nine, beginning with verse two, it says that there was there was a significant move away from God and his principles in Israel. For example, uh, in verse 2, the Israelites are called adulterers and treacherous men. In verse 3, they are called liars because that's what they do uh, nonstop. In verse 5, it says they deceive their neighbors and they don't speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. So the way life was going is they were I mean, significantly moving away from God and his ideals. So God says, well, This is what's happening in my love. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to allow you to follow your own ways, but rather I'm going to refine you Mm. and try you. And Jeremiah goes on saying through verse 10 and especially in verse 11, it says, I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals. I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. In other words, I will bring certain terrible circumstances upon you not because I don't care or I, I, I want to punish you, but I want to wake you up mm. to the reality in which you're living. And Blair, if I may, uh, I just want to share with you a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis that I think he portrays pain in a very powerful way in light of this passage from Jeremiah. It says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. Mm. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Mm. It is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Wow. It is his last resort to save you from yourself and the path you're choosing. So God, of course, used this method with the Israelites. But how does he purify us today? Is it a very similar approach, Abel? Well, uh, I guess, you know, some, sometimes we, we end up in circumstances where we may not 
want to be. And the greatest thing is to follow the advice of Peter, which says you should not lose your faith, but rather remain steadfast in your faith, knowing that Christ has suffered and wasn't a result that he was abandoned. Mm. Therefore, you should continue to trust God that he is with you. He will be with you through water, through fire. It doesn't mean these things have been removed, but he's with you as you go through them. Mm. Now, you know, we can see that God chastises us when we sin, and this can be a course of our suffering in our lives and these sorts of things. Um, But God also allows suffering when we've not sinned. Can you tell us about that, Gail? Mm. Well, in in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, uh, Paul writes, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So here Paul is saying that he's been given a thorn in the flesh and lest he be exalted above measure. And the verse is saying that this thorn was actually from Satan. So the purpose of this thorn was to fr- was frustrating and, and irritating mm. uh, to Paul. But God allowed Satan to do this to keep Paul humble. Mm. And so he wouldn't be proud. Mm. Now, I want to ask you, Abel, what lesson we can learn from this thorn in the flesh experience that, um, you know, we've just read and seen here. Uh, Look, I think God is willing to allow things to happen to us for ultimately for our own good and for our benefit. We know pride is a significant temptation for all of us. And it was for Lucifer. You know, that's what brought him in a way down from heaven. And, And God wanted to use Paul. And he said, I'm going to allow this to keep him humble. I mean, he was an esteemed leader. Everyone respected him. People sort of, it's like the Red Sea. People were parting away as you were walking through the streets of Jerusalem. He was the man. But now with his thorn in the flesh and, and preaching the gospel, he was persecuted. He was abandoned. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was in prison. And throughout all of this, he remained humbled and mm. continued to do God's will in everything. Because as Peter said, he remained steadfast in faith rejoicing in the sufferings of Christ. And I think that gives us such a powerful model for how we too can face trials and sufferings in our lives uh, as we try to navigate this whole complexity of suffering and and what to do with it. Uh, I want to throw a last question to you, Abel. And, uh, you know, in light of this, knowing that we have trials that come from different sources, we've looked at some of those today, how should a person react when they are in suffering, regardless of what has caused it? I'll tell you how we shouldn't react because, uh, first of all, as human beings, we've got this uh, ability to sit back and, and judge others and their situation and say, oh, this is happening because they've done this or they yeah. haven't obeyed. Yes. And even sometimes if we, with health, we oh, because they haven't followed all the, all the health laws. Sometimes terrible things happen because we are simply in a terrible, messed up, sin-cursed world Amen. and Satan. So I think in terms of answering your question, we are in no position to judge someone. However, we are to be the hands and the feet of Christ, to be there for them and help them because they, that journey is between them and God. We can only support them, but not cast judgment upon them. Well, I think that's a great place for us to finish our study up today. Uh, of course, so many powerful lessons that we can take with us as we face trials in our own lives. Suffering is a reality for all of us. As stewards of our own spirituality, we need to distinguish between different types of trials and suffering to understand how to cope and obtain meaning from it. Whenever trials come, we, may re- we must remember that we are never alone. Christ is always with us to strengthen us to endure. 
With this in mind, the suffering we experience will teach us to make changes for our benefit. If you are suffering today, claim the promise of Philippians 4.13 that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. Remember, all past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Email us if you wish on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.